and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So at this point, we have talked about COVID-19 countless times on this program. And yet, despite all the experts and all the public health messaging about the efficacy of vaccines, the importance of masking and physical distancing when someone has a confirmed case of the coronavirus, I've got to be honest. I've been really surprised and concerned at the number of people who still call into this program to tell us things like, well, I got COVID, so I don't need the vaccine. Or, I'm taking zinc and vitamin C to boost my immune system, so I'm not getting the vaccine. Or, I don't want my children to wear masks. So, it's my choice. This is about my freedom. This community is full of really smart and really thoughtful people. We prove that every day here on the program when we hear from you during these discussions. But lately, I find myself increasingly frustrated and confused by the persistent myths and misinformation that still surround this virus nearly 18 months into its presence in our lives and in our communities. And I partially understand why. This pandemic began under President Donald Trump, a figure who made famous the phrase, quote, fake news. And there has been so much that has changed in our collective understanding of this disease as time has gone on. It is a little confusing. This is a confusing time. But all that aside, I still think it's really important that we continue to have fact-based and honest conversations about COVID-19 on this show. And I'll be honest again, I appreciate those people who are unvaccinated and feel like they can call into this program and tell us about their thinking beyond that decision. This is a pretty big tent, this community that we're building here on Detroit today. And we want people who have all kinds of perspectives to feel like they're part of it and feel comfortable calling in or reaching out to us on social media and saying how they feel, talking about what they think. But we have got to get to a point in this community where we have more people adhering to the science, where we have more people using fact and reason to think their way through this really difficult period. And when I say this really difficult period, I am talking about Right now, I'm talking about the surge in cases that we're seeing. I'm talking about the Delta variant. I'm talking about this yearning that everybody has to get back to the world the way we used to, to know it. I was really disturbed. I got to be honest. I'm a huge Michigan football fan. But boy, when I turned on the television last Saturday and saw 109,000 people in that stadium, most of them not with masks. It really bothered me. What are we thinking about? Why aren't we thinking about public health above everything else? That's where we want to begin the hour today. We need to dispel some myths and misinformation that I've been hearing in my conversations with you, our listeners, and also in the collective conversations in the wider community here 
in Metro Detroit. Joining me to set the record straight on what we know about vaccines, about the virus, and how to stay healthy is Dr. John Mills, who currently practices at the Infectious Disease Clinic at the University of Michigan's Taubman Center. Dr. Mills, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I'm a frequent listener, so great to be on. And Dr. Natasha Bagdasarian is an infectious disease specialist who is based in Ann Arbor. Dr. Bagdasarian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on as well. So I just want to start with some rapid-fire myth-busting. Let's first address this misperception that I hear a lot here on the program and that I hear from people out in the world. This idea that if you had COVID, if you were sick with COVID-19, that you don't need a vaccine. Is that true? And if it's not true, uh, tell us why that's not so. Uh, Dr. Mills, I'll start with you. Yes, Stephen. So, so that's a great question. And it is a frequent one we get as well. What I would say is that we need to think about immunity as in your body being able to remember the virus and be able to fight it off if you're exposed again. Um, we do know that prior infection does result in some transient immunity, um, but it's unclear how long that lasts for, how durable it is, and how uh, how strong it is. Um, and we know from tests, both lab-based tests looking at neutralizing antibodies, um, that if someone who had prior infection then gets vaccinated afterwards, it can boost their neutralizing antibody levels up 50-fold or so. And we also know from a study recently done in Kentucky where they looked at people who were infected last year in 2020, um, and they compared those that got reinfected in 2021 versus those that didn't. And those that received the vaccine were um, or those that did not get the vaccine were, were twice as likely to get COVID a second time. So it, I would sum it up as saying that prior infection does provide some, some limited protection, but that vaccine really boosts that protection and make it much more effective and long lasting. And, and can you talk just a little about the Delta variant and the way it interacts with people who had COVID before? Uh, is it is it is there any protection for those who were sick with COVID nineteen against the Delta variant? Or uh, you know, I think we're all kind of waiting to see what else the disease might do. There could be another iteration of this down the road. Doctor Mills, is talk about how the Delta variant figures into that? Yeah, so the Delta variant is different mainly because it produces much, much higher viral load. So on the fold of a thousand fold higher than the, the initial strain of, uh, of coronavirus. So what that means is that people that are infectious are more than twice as infectious. So they're more than twice as likely to spread it. So that means, you know, you, you are likely going to be exposed to a higher inoculum of virus. Um, and therefore the, the stronger your immunity, the, the, the more likely you are the less likely you are to, to get infected and even have a positive test and the less likely you are certainly if you do get exposed enough to have a positive test to actually become symptomatic and sick. Mm. So, uh, Dr. Bagdasarian, I want to talk about uh, another myth with you. I hear this one a lot. I eat healthy, I work out, and I take immune-boosting supplements. So, 
I don't need the vaccine. Is that true? And if not, why not? Um, I hear that a lot as well. I hear people saying that they just want to rely on their immune system, that if they have a strong immune system, they'll be fine. Um, and I think it's, fine. It's, it's fantastic if people are eating healthy and exercising and taking care of their bodies, making sure that they are in top physical shape. Um, but what these vaccines are doing is they're giving a set of detailed blueprints to the immune system so that your immune system is not caught off guard. Um, and so no matter how healthy you are, that's a good thing. We want our immune systems to be ready um, to see COVID-19, to see the virus that causes COVID-19. And so um, I think it's fantastic if people are doing all of those things. And the, the vaccine is an additional thing that you can do to get your immune system in tip-top shape. So I also want to talk with you, Dr. Bagdasarian, about uh, the the alternative treatments that a lot of people uh, are, are are talking about and maybe thinking about. It's not just the idea of boosting your immune system. There are a lot of things out there that people have been told uh, will keep them from getting COVID nineteen or will help them if they are sick uh, feel better faster. Ivermectin is one of the things that I've seen a lot in in headlines uh, lately. Uh, talk through how people should make sense of these things. Uh, when should they trust and when should they doubt? Well, first I'll start out by saying that we are in this together. Um, the healthcare community wants people to get better. And if there were any treatments out there um, that we felt were helpful, we would not be holding them back. Um, ivermectin, for example, is a fantastic drug. As an infectious disease physician, we use it often. Um, I give it every month to my dog as a heartworm preventative. Um, however, it is not something that has any benefit with um, COVID-19, and I would not recommend taking it off-label. Um, there are some antibiotics that have been proposed as well, and those are antibiotics that target specific bacteria and don't have any effectiveness against viruses. So again, um, I don't recommend those. And I know it's really difficult to separate the noise from what is the truth. Um, but if you have a trusted healthcare provider, if you have someone that you've been taking your family to for years, talk to them, take a look at the CDC website. Um, if there were treatments out there that we felt were going to help, we as a medical community would not withhold them hmm. from the public. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that first bit of advice, talk to your doctor, your physician, uh, I think is one of the things that, that is the best advice right now uh, for people who are confused or, or maybe have heard of something that they are, are wondering whether, whether it works. And, and I, I fear that there are a lot of people who really just aren't uh, just aren't doing that and and are going ahead and trying things uh, on their own. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. We're talking this hour about myths and misinformation surrounding COVID-19, the things that some people uh, persist in believing, even though there's no scientific support for them, there's no facts uh, that back up uh, those beliefs and the ways in which uh, we need to kind of push back against uh, those myths and that misinformation in order to get us to a place where we're able to manage the disease a lot better than we are uh, right now.
Of course, we want to hear from you, uh, the listeners, about uh, the subject. Uh, what are your questions about the coronavirus at this point? Uh, have you been vaccinated? Do you plan to get uh, a vaccination booster? Uh, were you hesitant at all about the idea uh, of a vaccination? And call and tell us about the conversations that you're having with other people in our community. Uh, are people telling you things about COVID that you know are not right? Are you continuing to have to have arguments with people uh, about the, the wisdom of wearing a mask or social distancing or taking a vaccine? Uh, what are you saying to people to try to convince them to be part of uh, the public health first, I guess, crowd uh, that we're trying to develop. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you in the conversation that way. No surprise, the phones filled up even before I asked for calls today. Uh, this is always uh, a subject that people love to talk about here on the program, and I love that you all feel comfortable talking about this, uh, uh, this subject here. I think it is a way to, to build community knowledge. So let's start with Sam in Mount Clemens. Sam, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, so uh, <laughs> my wife and I are both vaccinated. Um, we have an eight-year-old daughter. She is her second day in school. Um, that particular school didn't mandate masks wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, we are requiring her to wear masks. Um, and I'm concerned. First of all, well, hold on, let me back up. We never thought twice about the vaccine. I mean, you can look back at the polio. Thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that's what's going to get rid of this. Um, uh, I'm concerned about what kids hear, hear from their parents and possibly bullying my child for wearing a mask. Mm. Only maybe a, a small fraction of the kids have masks on. Mm. And, and then we already, my wife and I, we made a pact that we will pull her out of school if this starts like going crazy again. Um, I'm confused. I'd like to hear from your expert. Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but it's got 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 us just like in a frenzy about. Sure. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, and, it, uh, Sam. I think that's that produces an awful lot of anxiety when when you're not sure what to do and where uh, you know you're doing something that maybe a majority of the people in your in your school community are not doing. So I I love the question. Um, uh, Dr. Mills, I'll start with with you. Let's let's first talk about the wisdom of continuing to wear masks and whether you think, uh, for instance, in schools, uh, it makes sense to have all children wearing masks. Yeah, so I definitely uh, can sympathize with you, Sam, because I've got school-aged children as well. Um, and I think the science is pretty clear that wearing masks reduces the risk of transmission of COVID. Um, So both for the wearer, if you're wearing a mask, it's gonna reduce the likelihood that you are going to breathe in uh, small droplets or aerosols that are laden with virus. Um, And also even better if others are wearing masks because it it serves as a source of what we call source control. So if someone else um, has infection and maybe they don't have symptoms and don't know it, masks are going to block the dispersion of those aerosols into the air. 
Um, so we know that a mask uh, for one person is good, but a mask for everyone in that room is going to be m much more effective. Um, so I certainly would advocate having your your child mask in school, um, but I would also, you know, recommend uh, you know lobbying the school board or or you know those decision makers that um, that make those decisions because if you look at what the the Michigan Health and Human Services Department is recommending, you know they are strongly recommending mask usage in schools, particularly because we're seeing rising uh, rates of the Delta variant right now. Um, and, you know, we're, we're getting probably pretty close to vaccine approval for young children, but we're not there yet. So I think, you know, keeping the masks going for the next couple of months is going to be important um, to, to blunt another potential wave of COVID. Mm. And uh, Dr. Bagdasarian, uh, address Sam's concerns about the idea of when to remove your child, I guess, from from, from school because uh, of the environment there, either because there's too many people not wearing masks or because uh, there's an outbreak and and it seems unsafe. What 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 do you counsel parents who you see uh, about how they make those decisions? Um, yeah, I, I think this is an excellent question and a, and a very difficult question. It's something that's very personal. Um, I can also answer this as a as a parent, as a mom. I have a seven-year-old um, who is in school right now. Um, he's in a school where everyone is wearing a mask, but I still worry. Um, and this summer, I did send him to a day camp. It was an outdoor day camp, and um, he was the only one who wore a mask. Mm. So I have the same concerns, and I would say it's a very personal decision because what you're really weighing is the risk that you feel your child will be exposed to. And as Dr. Mills said, it's much safer if everyone is wearing a mask, not just your child. Um, so you're weighing the risks with the benefits and the benefits of socialization and being in an in-person classroom. Um, and I think that those risks and benefits will vary for each individual family. So it's really taking a look um, at what's going on in your community, what's happening in your school, what's happening in your classroom. Um, you know, can, can you convince the school to um, encourage masks strongly? Can you get rates of mask wearing up? Um, is there an outbreak that changes the whole risk dynamic? And then also, what are your individual child's needs? Um, how much is your child benefiting from in-person learning? Hmm. Um, so no one can, I think, advise on a, uh, on a blanket level. Um, these are very individual decisions. Hmm. Okay, we are going to take a quick break and when we come back, uh, we are going to continue this conversation about COVID myths and misinformation and trying to get more people in our community to the truth and to accept that truth and then to, to act on it. Uh, we want to continue to hear from you on the phones as well. 313-577-1019 is the number. John in Southfield, Chuck in West Bloomfield, you're up first when we get back. Again, if you want to join them, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. busting here on Detroit 
Detroit today on 101.9 WDET, talking about the things that people persist in believing and saying about COVID-19 that just aren't so. I think that's a big reason that we continue to struggle with uh, managing this disease, stopping it from spreading, uh, keeping people out of hospitals, and of course, keeping people from dying from the disease. Uh, We've got two experts with us here today who are helping us set the record straight on a lot of these questions uh, for people in our community. Uh, We want to hear from you as well. Uh, Give us a call and tell us how you're thinking about vaccinations right now. Are you uh, someone who took uh, a COVID-19 vaccination? Tell us what the thought process was for you doing that. Are you someone who did not take the COVID-19 vaccination yet? Uh, Call us and tell us what your thinking is. Uh, Also, give us a sense of the conversations that you're having out in our community about COVID-19 and the precautions. Uh, Are you finding yourself having to correct people? Are you finding yourself having to shoot down myths that that people uh, seem to believe? Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter Put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the program that way. We've got two great experts with us uh, to help sort things out uh, about COVID-19. Dr. John Mills is an infectious disease specialist who currently practices at the Infectious Disease Clinic at the University of Michigan's uh, Taubman Center. Uh, Also with us is Dr. Natasha Bagdasarian, who is an infectious disease specialist who is based in uh, Ann Arbor. I want to... um, I want to start uh, this this part of the conversation with some of the social media comments that we've had. Uh, Marie on Twitter says, oh, my God, how can anyone be confused about COVID and its treatment and prevention? By now, I'm losing it listening to the show. By the way, I left my hairdresser of 30 years because she wouldn't get vaxxed. Uh, Kevin on Twitter says there needs to be a clear message on immunity of people who have had COVID, not Facebook or YouTube videos. We did talk a little about that with our experts, but we didn't talk about how uh, to make sure that people understand what that uh, immunity might look like and might not. Um, And then Confused American on Twitter says, I've been confused from the start about the quality of masks. Many are cloth, and as far as I know, not certified against the standards that coronavirus can spread. Can your guests speak to the type, quality, and efficiency of masks. Why don't we start uh, there with uh, our experts. Uh, Dr. Bagdasarian, talk about masks and what the different kinds are and how concerned we should be. Uh, I wear a mask that is that is just a cloth. It's not an N95. Uh, is, that, is that doing anything of, uh, of public health good? Uh, so first of all, absolutely. Uh, thank you for wearing a mask. Um, when we think about masks, there are some general types of masks. There are some general buckets that we think about. So first are respirators, and those are, for example, the N95 masks that you see healthcare professionals wearing, especially when they're um, performing high-risk procedures. Then we have medical masks, and those are masks that are used um, typically in um, medical facilities by healthcare workers for routine day-to-day activities. Um, and may also be worn by the public and are, you know, available for purchase in a variety of um, uh, venues. 
And then we have cloth masks. So those are the three general types. And for each of these types of masks, the two qualities that are most important are filtration and fit. Now, filtration, we know, um, is something that is assured for our respirators and our medical quality masks that have been through um, levels of approval. So um, the, the filtration is really, can particles go through those masks? Fit is um, a, a little bit more um, tricky. So fit is how that mask form fits to your face. And with respirators, we know that fit is assured through a variety of means. We do fit testing in healthcare facilities. There are all kinds of uh, protocols in place to make sure that there's a tight seal on your face. With medical masks, and cloth masks, we don't necessarily have that same fit, and there can be gaps. So as a consumer or as someone in public who wants to make sure that you are um, wearing the best mask available to you, the simplest thing to do is to really make sure that fit is good. Um, and that means making sure that there's no leaking around your mask and that it's um, adhering tightly to your face. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. So you can either um, do a technique that's talked about on the CDC website where they tie the ear loop and tuck the mask so that it's form-fitted to your face. Mm -hmm. There are some double masking techniques that you can use where you're wearing a, um, a medical quality mask with a um, cloth mask on top. Um, and there are also mask fitters that are now available where essentially these are devices that just take the mask and press it to your face. Um, and, and one of the things that we have seen through studies is that any mask is really better than no mask. So anything you're wearing is, um, is, is probably going to be helpful to some level. And if you can improve fit, then you're giving yourself that extra level of protection and also giving others around you extra protection. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. I want to go to Mike in Chesterfield because uh, he wants to talk about what we are just talking about, which is masks. Mike, go ahead. Hi there, Stephen. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, my biggest concerns regarding masks are that uh, the way we've gone about the mandates and uh, everything else we've gone about in society particularly since June of last year, uh, during the low point of that part of the pandemic, when we started the widespread mass mandates, I feel like that has caused a lot of problems down the line. It's difficult to enforce. Uh, people, even to this day, still don't understand masking very well. Even people who are pro-mask don't uh, promote it in a good way or understand how masks work. And uh, one of the things I've seen uh, that might happen now, not just during this pandemic, but rather throughout the entirety of the future, is mask fatigue. My hope during the beginning of the pandemic was that we would adopt uh, East Asian culture um, manifestations in if you're sick, wear a mask. Uh, you know, During heightened times of like the flu or fevers or colds, People would wear masks. People would wear it on public transportation. Mm. But because of the mandation effect, 
I think that that will cause a lot of people who wouldn't worn masks mm. regularly to no longer wear them. Mm. And I'm I'm saying this from the background of someone who's de- who's working on developing personal protective equipment and who's utilized it in fire, medical, and military purposes. The problem in this is, and I'm sorry to say this uh, to your guests or to the medical community in general, but I think that it should have been the uh, PPE industrial community putting out this information and not the medical uh, community. Yeah, Mike, because that's, I feel that, that was a problem. Mike, that's really an interesting perspective, and I'm glad you called and, and, and shared that. Uh, Dr. Bagdazarin, you were just talking about the efficacy and importance of masks. How do you answer Mike's criticism? You know, I think we're all facing some mass fatigue. I think it's it's um, really difficult. Masks were not something that were part of our culture. They were not something that were worn on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, and so it's really difficult. People would like to go back to um, normal. They would like to go back to pre-pandemic times. Unfortunately, we're just not there. Um, and so wouldn't it be lovely if everyone just wore a mask to look out for their fellow humans? Hmm. Um, without having um, mandates and requirements and rules, I think that would be fantastic. Um, I, I lived in um, I lived in Singapore for a number of years, and yes, people wear masks when they're ill. Um, it's fantastic. There's a sense of community and doing good for um, for those around you. So I think it would be absolutely ideal if everyone took it upon themselves to wear a mask, not only for protection of themselves but for protection of others. Um, but I'm not sure how to get to that point where we're really putting the needs of others first. I think that's a real problem with this discussion is that everyone is is still thinking just a little about what masks mean to them and not thinking about the communal value of everybody uh, having a mask on and being able uh, to protect each other. I mean, it, it is a cultural stumbling block that I think uh, is really is really holding us back but uh, but Mike I really do appreciate uh, your your uh, your call and and your question let's go to John in Southfield John welcome to the show good morning Stephen how are you good how are you I'm good thank you for your show and for these great topics again uh, the point of view that I have I think is one that I'm not hearing expressed very much but I'm kind of surprised that nobody is talking about it and I think it goes to this question that you've got about what's what are the barriers that we have to overcome even as you're talking we're talking around it I'm hearing you use the words uh, like faith and truth and belief and trust and myth and uh, really what it's pointing at is religion And uh, I think that we need to be honest about the fact that there is an aspect of religion, particularly with fundamentalist-type religions, that actually um, teaches people to think in a non-critical way. Uh, it, It teaches people to distrust critical thinking. It teaches people to distrust evidence. And I think it's a real barrier, and I think we're seeing the fruit of allowing that to happen uh, right now and seeing what a danger it is to society. Hmm. I'm not anti-religion, but I think this aspect of it is a culprit in the problem that we're facing. Hmm. Uh, John, uh, really appreciate the thoughtful the thoughtful uh, call there. Um, uh, Dr. Dr. Mills, uh, I'll leave it to you to talk about what religion 
should be telling us, I guess, or, or, or how we should be thinking of religion in the context of things like vaccinations uh, and whether that is one of the stumbling blocks that we have to getting more people uh, to take the shot. Yeah, I think it's hard to generalize because there's so many different religions with different beliefs. Um, but I think um, that's an area where there, you know, we could do more outreach. I think certainly there are um, religious groups that are more resistant to vaccine and masking. And I think it's up to the scientific community to uh, better communicate to those groups uh, to really show that this is meant not just to benefit you, to benefit all society so that we can all be living sort of a closer to, to normal uh, life that we lived prior to pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, John, I really appreciate uh, the call and the questions. Let's go to Mike in Farmington Hills. Mike, what's on your mind? Yes, hello. Um, I was calling because my family has a, a curious problem. Um, a very close friend of mine works in the cruise industry. Mm. And thinking back to how all this started in the United States, um, I believe that I've been paying close attention to the science and watching the recommendations on how we protect ourselves from COVID. But at this date, my friend's uh, industry is trying to get us all back on cruise ships, uh, <laughs> even to the point where the, his employers incentivize them by giving them free trips to go and travel on their, their ships to uh, prove that they're safe from, from COVID. Um, and even this week when we see college football and stadiums packed with people, um, I'm a little baffled to explain why I feel so nervous about the idea of being in an enormous crowd, even out of doors, mm. <laughs> with people that could potentially be harboring the virus and with the Delta virus that has the potential of making even more of us sick. So, so maybe I've got two questions. The first would be, um, in these large public venues, mm-hmm. when is it really safe to be back out in public, unmasked, in light of the, the Delta virus? Right. And maybe the second question being, if you've got 100,000 people in Michigan Stadium dancing to a song and they're all unmasked, why aren't more people getting sick? Mm. Uh, they're, they're great questions, Mike. And and I started the show today to sharing my my disappointment and and really just uh, sheer shock at uh, at turning the television on last Saturday and seeing all those people in Michigan Stadium. As excited as I am for college football, it just doesn't seem like such a great idea. Um, Dr. Bagdasarian, talk about the, the the things that we should still be cautious about going back to doing. Is it okay to crowd into Michigan Stadium with 109,000 other people? Is it okay to go on a cruise ship uh, at this point? Or should we be waiting, I guess, until we have better control of the spread of the virus? So I can tell you from my personal perspective, uh, I live in Ann Arbor and I was not at the game and I have no plans to go to to games because I also feel nervous. Mm. When we talk about public health and when we talk about our mitigation strategies and our public health and safety measures, we really talk about a layered approach and using as many 
of our mitigation strategies piled up on top of each other. Um, we call this the, the Swiss cheese approach to public health, um, that each layer has some holes. The virus can um, evade each one of our um, techniques when used alone. But when we combine them all together, then you block the holes um, and you potentially avoid transmission. So vaccination is a core part of that strategy, you know, getting people vaccinated, making sure that as many individuals are vaccinated as possible. Um, then on top of that, you still have to put some other mitigation strategies on when we have transmission to this level, and especially transmission of the Delta variant, which we know, um, you know, there's extremely high viral shedding, up to a thousand times more viral shedding, some studies have shown, than the original strain of the virus. So vaccines alone at this point in the pandemic are, are not really going to get us there because we don't have everyone vaccinated um, and we have high transmission right now. So um, vaccination with masks and distancing and good ventilation, that's the safest way for us to um, resume some of the activities that we all want to get back to. Um, so crowding everyone together, crowding thousands of people together in a small space, there is some risk to that. Mm. Um, indoor gatherings, large indoor gatherings where a lot of people are coming in and breathing the same air, there is risk to that. Um, so I think at this point in the pandemic with high transmission in most parts of Michigan, we really need to continue on this um, multifocal approach to public health and not just rely on on vaccines alone. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. John Mills and Dr. Natasha Bagdazarian, uh, it was really great to have both of you here to help uh, set some of the facts straight about COVID-19. Thanks so much for joining the program. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having me. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to change the subject. Author John U. Bacon is going to join me to talk about his new book, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.